Today, let's go over to the book of Judges, chapter 14. Judges, the 14th chapter. And let's continue in this series. We've been in the last couple of weeks called Power Gone Sour. And don't get quiet on me already. At least make some grunts or some... Thank you. We've been talking about... Uh, about um, the anointing, the power of God, the gift of God. Uh, we've been talking about uh, this, this individual that God used mightily named Samson. Anybody ever heard of Samson? All right. His dad wasn't even named Sam. That's what's odd to me about that. But uh, isn't that how that works? His dad was named Manoah. He should have been Manoah's son. Right? I don't know. But anyway, Samson was a very interesting individual because he had such a unique call upon his life, such a spectacular beginning. His birth was announced by an angel. His parents, his mother was barren. You know, his parents were childless until this miraculous, outstanding uh, beginning to a person's life. And then the call on him to be a judge and a deliverer of Israel uh, was a very powerful thing. And, and uh, definitely unique, uh, but Samson wasn't exactly a model citizen when it comes to uh, maturity and character and excellence and integrity. Uh, he is, it's interesting, even though I've been, we've been talking about him and giving him as an example of how not to live, it's not that he didn't do anything good. He is actually listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith uh, because he did some things that were of faith and that were right uh, before God and that were, in one sense, an example for us. But much of his life was not. And many of the, the decisions he made and how he conducted himself, we're to look at him as an example of how we're not to do it, of how we're not to conduct ourselves and not to live. Again, Samson was... Uh, anointed with strength, a very unique anointing, and uh, he's kind of almost a contrast to the life of David. Remember, King David had some, uh, we had some, some situations like that where the Lord moved on him to do physical feats beyond what the natural person could do, like he was attacked with a, by a lion and overcame that lion. I mean, that's not something in just a, a natural man could do uh, because a lion would overpower them. Uh, Dave, so David had some of those strength feats, if you will, as well in, in, in his life. Remember, it was said about David, uh, King David, that he was a man after God's own heart. And that's one of the attributes that we all want to emulate. He, he was a man after God's own heart. If it could be said about Samson, anything related to that saying, we would probably say the opposite. He was a man after his own heart. All right, Not after God's heart. He was in, interested in himself, in his own well-being, in what, uh, you know, if someone would attack him, he would get them back. That was more of his attitude. He was kind of a prankster, a joker. He was, he, he was always doing things that were kind of, you know, questionable. And uh, we, we talked uh, last week about how, about how he was a Nazarite uh, from, his, from birth, which was, again, 
a little bit unusual. Someone could become a Nazarite for a period of time. And remember, a Nazarite, was a, it was a vow that a person would make. It was, it was the closest thing to being in full-time ministry, if you will, for a person who, uh, for the average person who didn't have a call to full-time ministry. They could still sanctify themselves and separate themselves unto the will of God and go farther than the average person would go in relationship to uh, their consecration and dedication and walking with God. But, but think about Samson now. He, he's, as we're, we're going to read here, he, he's 18 years old. Okay, he's grown up in his life constantly hearing not only about the, the, the miraculous um, beginning of his life, but then he's being told all the time what not to do. Right? As far as the vow of the Nazarite, don't do this, you can't drink this, you can't touch this, you can't cut this. Right? And, uh, and so he, he, he always knew, hearing in day in and day out, don't do that, stay away from that, you can't have this. How many know that can be, uh, without a proper balance of the goodness of God, that can be a recipe for trouble right there. Parents, if all you do is tell your kids what they can't do, if all you do is tell them you can't have this and you can't go here and you can't do this and you never tell them what they can do, you never tell them about the good things in life, well, it, it can kind of warp the mentality. And, 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 it's, and, and that's what Samson had. He, all he knew was what he couldn't do. And, you know, that law mentality is, is, doesn't produce good things. We need to hear about the goodness of God, not just the severity of God. And uh, it seemed, though, that, that Samson had no use for God until he was in trouble. And I don't know if you know anyone like that today. Certainly no one in here would act that way. But I've seen that before where, where, where Christians, they, they, you know, they, they live for God and they'll be involved in the work of God and they'll contribute to the work of God and all this kind of stuff when they need Him. But as soon as things are fine, as soon as things are going well, they're kind of off doing their own thing and they don't have time for the things of God. And uh, let's, let that not be said about us. Hmm? That we're here when we're in trouble. Now, if you're in trouble... I'm glad you're here because there is help and there is mercy and there is grace from the Lord that will help to lift and sustain your life. But there's something more valuable about a person who will serve God in the good times and in the bad times. They'll serve the Lord after they win the lottery. You know what I'm talking about? Not not just when they're you know getting getting kicked out of the house and the power's getting turned off and they got or they got a disease or or their 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 marriage is breaking apart or their kids have gotten off into drugs or something then help God yeah, we're I mean this is probably not the best way to say this but you're lucky he's so nice <laughs> you know what I'm talking about I mean he is so merciful and kind and and even when people do it do him that way it's like he still wants to show kindness and grace. But that doesn't say anything good about our character. It doesn't say anything good about our side of this relationship. And how many know a relationship with God is supposed to go two ways? It's not just about His love for us. It's about our response to His love. And it's about our commitment and dedication to Him as well. In Judges chapter 14, let's begin reading here in verse 1. 14 verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines... So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get, uh, get her for me as a wife. Now, how many know Samson is, has not grown up learning any kind of respect? What does he do? I see a girl over there I like. Go get her for me. I mean, he's talking to his parents. 
How many know uh, children ought not be telling their parents what to do? Even big, strong children. Even called of God children with some mega super muscle anointing <laughs> ought not be telling their parents what to do. Parents, don't let your kids wear you out till you, till you finally give in and do what they've been nagging on you and complaining t- at, towards you uh, to do. A str- good, par- good kids, let me say it this way, strong kids need stronger parents. And if some, if a strong kid is got, you know, how, if your kids have strong wills, I think that can be a real good thing. If they're trained, because then they'll be strong for the Lord. Then they're not going to bend and bow uh, to the pressures of this world. But when a, when a child is telling their parents what to do, and uh, and the parents give in to that, that's a that, that is a wrong that is a recipe for disaster right there. Some some of the parents say, well, what if that? What if I find out they're right? you still don't give in to them. Even if they're right, and you discover they are right about something, it comes to a place where, where you are still making the decision, not giving in to their pressure or their demands. Hallelujah. Anyway, this is what he did. Uh, he said, go, go get her for me. Verse 3, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters uh, of your brethren or among all my people that you must go to get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. (laughs) What's he saying? I want her! I want her, I want her, I want her, I want her, I want her! Get her for me! I don't know if he said it that way, but probably. And they said, no, she, you don't have to marry someone from the Philistines. He said, I want her, I want her, I want her. <laughs> and Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. I'll come back to that. That he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. And, and, and for at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, uh, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. <laughs> he shouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> why are you? Be, why you be surprised? You're, you're going out here and do it anyway. I'll come back to that maybe. Why are you surprised if something bad happens to you when you're out there doing what you're doing, acting the way you're acting? Anyway, um, I've a, I, I, I'm reading this and I'm wondering. What is he doing in the land of the Philistines? I mean, this, the character of, and the kind of the way that Samson conducted himself, is he seemed to always be flirting with sin. He always seemed to be playing on the edge. And how many understand that if you're not supposed to eat grapes, we read that last week, you probably shouldn't play in the vineyard. And here we got him hanging out in the vineyard, hanging out in the land of the Philistines, hanging out in, in places where he shouldn't be. And how many of that, that's a, just a recipe for disaster. That's just asking for trouble. And I find a lot of times people will live their lives that way too. They say, I'm committed to live holy and right before God. I'm going to do what's, what I'm supposed to do. But then they live right on the edge, just kind of playing on the, ed- on the edge of disaster all the time. You know, you know what I'm talking about? If you don't really want to fall off the edge, you probably shouldn't spend a whole lot of time, you know, 
on the edge. If you don't want to fall in the ditch, in the canyon, you know, I used to use that when I lived in Twin Falls. There's that canyon over there. Remember, anyone ever seen the Snake River Canyon? I'd say, if you don't want to fall in, I got advice for you. It's real easy. I lived there a number of years. Never fell in once. I didn't even have any close calls. You know, or I had to grab a hand. But you know, I never did this on the edge of the canyon. (laughs) People do that with sin, though. People do that with a lifestyle they don't want. They conduct themselves that way. You know, I I used to be asked um, a lot about uh, singles and relationships and and Christian. uh, Of course, uh, when someone gets saved, they don't conduct themselves the way they did in the world as far as how they have, have relationships with each other. And so uh, singles, they get saved, and then now, now they want to know, how am I to conduct myself around this girl? Or how far is too far? What are we permitted to do? And I would always tell them, uh, if, if you don't want to fall, you know, same illustration, if you don't want to fall in, don't walk on the edge. In other words, don't ask, be asking the question, how far can I get, how far can I go before it's sin, <laughs> before it's wrong? So stay far away from it. Stay as far away from it as you can. Then you're guaranteed to not fall. You're guaranteed to not fall into sin. Stay, stay far away from it. What, what is it that you struggle with? You know, if, if someone's struggling with, uh, uh, with alcohol and things of that nature, well, do you drive by the bar? Or could you take a different route? Or every, you know, every time on the way home from work, maybe that used to be your habit. You go home from, get off of work and go by the bar and get a few drinks and, you know, you had a problem with that and now you're, you're, you're not living that way anymore and you're free from that. But every time you, you drive by, you have a choice on which roads to take. Which, which way are you going to go? Everybody, everybody listening to me now? If you struggle with watching the wrong thing on TV, don't buy HBO. You know? Cut off those premium channels and things like that that are going to be putting all that stuff out there before you all the time. Hey, man. What are we talking about? Well, I got control. Do you? I don't know if you do, but you know you. I know me. You know you. I mean, we all know where we're at. And uh, if you don't want to eat the grapes, stay away from the vineyard. It's a lot easier. Hey, man. I mean, most of us know that this time of year, I, I don't know if you know this, it's I know this for me. There's uh, this time of year. It seems like there's food everywhere. Is it there? I mean, there's food and there's there's sweets and snacks and all that. And I'm not down on it. I like it. But at the same time, I I recognize in me, it's a lot easier when it's not right there. You know, walk by and pull off the edge. You know, like the brownies, the edge is the best. You know, it's a lot easier when it's not right there. And if you want to, uh, you know, not eat that kind of stuff, you just keep yourself further away from it. And so um, Samson was doing this. He's playing in the land of the Philistines. And uh, how many know the Lord is not against one race marrying another, but he is against unbelievers marrying uh, believers. And that's what was going on here. Um, This is interesting when this scripture says here about... uh, about how this was of the Lord, that he would do this. We know from other scriptures that that can't be referencing that, that God wanted Samson to marry this 
uh, uncircumcised Philistine. That, and that refers to covenant when you call it. Uh, uh, them uncircumcised Philistine. It, you can see that from up from many other scriptures, they were forbidden to do that. And so this thing being of the Lord, the Lord was looking for a way to get Samson engaged in delivering Israel uh, from the Philistines. But for him to marry one of these uh, these women, that was not his will. That would be a direct contradiction of scripture in different places. And it would be against the commands of God. And so, you know, some some say, well, Samson was over there and the Lord is just taking advantage of using this situation even though he was in disobedience. If you look down again at verse, verse 6, Judges fourteen six, And the spirit of... See, this is right after the lion attacked him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as he would have torn a young apart a young goat though he had nothing in his hand but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, I want you to see the, what, what's happening here in the lifestyle and the pattern of what he was doing, okay? Uh, first of all, he was attacked by a lion. I mentioned earlier that David was attacked by a lion, or at least the lion was attacking the sheep, and he dealt with that situation. David was in the will of God. Samson was out of the will of God. It, it, just a kind of a side note, um, uh, Two times you can, you can have to deal with lions is when you're in the will of God and when you're out of the will of God. <laughs> All right, be ready. Sometimes people judge every circumstance, every negative thing that happens. It's either the will of God or out of the will of God. I don't judge my being in the will of God by circumstances. I don't look at what's happening in my life and say, oh, I must be out of God's will or I must be in God's will because Satan's attacking me. A lot of times people, when they get saved, everything becomes a little bit superstitious, okay? They move out beyond common sense, and, 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 and everything has a hidden meaning, you know? If something bad happens, <gasps> what's the Lord saying? Um, the Lord's saying, overcome that. <laughs> the Lord's saying, I've given you my word, my power, my authority, my, my name. Uh, why don't you overcome that situation? Why don't you resist the devil and he'll flee from you? Not draw a parallel or some, some kind of hidden meaning from every little thing that happens in life. Anyway, it's interesting what, say, what it said here. He tore apart this lion with, and, and, and the scripture says specifically, he had nothing in his hand. You remember what one of the vows of the Nazarite were? That they could not, they couldn't touch dead things. They couldn't touch dead things. Everybody forget that already? They couldn't touch dead things. So we've got him playing in the vineyard. Don't know if he ate any of the grapes. Didn't say specifically there. But we got him tearing apart the lion. And it specifically mentions he had nothing in his hand. And he didn't tell his parents. And so uh, he's already violating here. He's playing on the edge. He's violating the vow of, of the Nazarite. Verse 7 then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. So he's touching the dead animal again. Uh, when he came to uh, his father and mother, he gave some to them. They also ate, but he did not tell them he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So he's involving them in his contact with the dead animal and this honey being a part of that. And so he's violating the vow. He's made his parents do so without, without knowing this. And what's going on here is, is Samson is kind of creating a, a pattern in his life, not only of playing on the edge, 
but of he, you can see in the rest of his life he starts to do this where he he messes up he gets forgive he gets forgiveness or he comes back to the lord calls on the lord for help the lord helps him and then he goes back doing his own thing again and then he calls on the lord for help and then he goes back doing his own thing again calls on the lord for help and this becomes a pattern in his life that he's following where he's not he's not any kind of picture or model of uh, of what a, a person sh- uh, should do and how they should live. Now, after this, without going through and reading all this in particular, let me just kind of let, let me kind of tell you what, what what's been going on in, in in the following verses. His father and mother went down to this woman uh, that he saw was good looking, and he liked her, and he wanted her, and uh, and so they started uh, this process of them being married. All right. They had a big feast. These feasts last for a couple of weeks, and all this stuff. And he's going to uh, he's going to marry this person. So there's these guys there that are coming alongside of him, and he poses a riddle, and he poses this riddle about, and this riddle is all about the lion and the honey, uh, and the carcass and so forth. He poses a riddle and said, "If you guys can solve this riddle, I'll give you thirty uh, sets of clothes, and if you can't, you're going to give me 30 sets of clothes, and it was these linen garments and things and expensive stuff, and, uh, and so they're trying to figure it out, and they couldn't figure it out after, after uh, you know, a few days, and find, so they go to his wife, they're in the process of being married, but he, they go to his wife, and, and they start, you know, they're all Philistines, they don't really like this guy, they don't like Samson, and they're trying to, to get the answer from her, and after a while, she, of course, you know, she starts hanging on him. Come on, tell me. You don't love me. If you love me, you tell me. You hate me. <laughs> Sounds like modern day language. You're a hater. <laughs> the ignorance and foolishness of the world we live in is just pathetic. The way they throw around certain types of language and things like that. Anyway, anyway, she was talking like that to Samson. And of course, she wore him down. And at the end, he told her the, 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 the answer to the riddle. And then she went and told those guys the answer to the riddle. And they came back to him and said, here's the answer. And, uh, you know, and he, he, said, he said something that's kind of interesting and, and maybe slightly offensive. Uh, <laughs> what, what did he, 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 said, he said over here um, in verse, verse 18, he, he said, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have been able to solve my riddle. And so I don't know if that's the first time a man called his wife a heifer. or but I'm not saying this. I'm just saying that he did that. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, and so then they gave, they gave Samson's wife to his, to his companion. But he, here's another thing that's going on. He's playing in a vineyard. Has, he's at this wedding feast. And this is an area where, where wine is flowing abundantly. I don't see it specifically that it mentions this, but I think it's entirely possible and likely that he also broke that part of the vow. And we, th- we, th- we go, always go to the end of this where he gets his hair cut and then he loses his strength. And that was one part of the vow. But I think that was probably the last straw. I think it's, it's, we know he's touching, he's touching dead animals here. Well, we know he's around the vineyard. He's around the wedding feast. There's wine flowing. I think it's very possible that he's broken all three. And by the time he gets his hair cut, final straw anointing is gone. Okay. But again, he was, he was at this wedding. And you know what he did as, as a response to this is 
He didn't want to lose money. He's about himself. He didn't want to have to pay up the 30 clothes, the 30 uh, sets of clothing. So what he does is he, uh, in, in the 15th chapter, but he basically goes out and, uh, and gets uh, these foxes. You know, I'm going, jumping ahead of myself here, aren't I? That's the, that, that, he, did, he did that after. But he went out and killed 30 of their men and took their clothes to pay off his debt. So you can see kind of, he loses the bet, so he goes and kills 30 people, gets their clothes, and pays off his debt. That's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of immaturity that he had, and this was not God's way of him delivering uh, Israel from the Philistines. This was his own, uh, you know, lack of character. Okay, then that, that's when he goes in in Judges 15, he does the fox thing. You know the fox story? All right. Again, he's just bringing vengeance. He's just acting like a little baby. And uh, he goes and he gets these foxes. The, uh, how many of those foxes did he get? 30, 300, yeah. He, he gets 300 foxes. He ties their tails together and lights them on fire. And these foxes go running through the field. And burn up their field and it costs the Philistines a fortune. Of course, they lost all these fields and, and, and all these crops. But he did this. I mean, 300 foxes had to die. I mean, I'm not like, I believe in eating animals. But I, don't, I really don't believe in, in uh, hurting animals just for the sake of doing something like this. I think that's totally ungodly. I think that's totally wrong. And, uh, but again, you can see it's just vengeance. He's been personally affected and he's going to get, he's going to get them back. This is an attitude we need to watch out that it doesn't enter into our own lives. How many know when, when, uh, when Jesus in his ministry, he, he didn't act like this. Remember when John the Baptist was killed? Uh, John the Baptist was beheaded. He was the cousin of Jesus. Jesus loved him. And he got word of this. He went alone and got away for a while. But you know when he got back, you know what he did? He didn't go and light up their fields. He didn't go and kill a bunch of them. Say, I'll tell you, I'll show you how to. You're going to mess with my friends? you messing with my family? I'm gonna... You know what Jesus did? He went out and healed people. He went out and had a, had a meeting and got people healed after he was personally hurt, if you will. He was disappointed with the, with the loss of John the Baptist's life. And I think this is something we can learn from. Is it right, is it godly at times to be angry with, with the way things go in this world? It absolutely is. There should be a holy, righteous, godly anger in a ha- that resides in the hearts of Christians towards sin, towards unrighteousness, toward ungodliness that's taking place in our world. We ought to be angry about it. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to get them back? Or are we going to get them back? Are we going to try to tell them how it is and in anger respond and accuse and, and harm and do these things? Or are we going to let it be a motivator inside of us to do the works of God? To do the will, of, to, to preach Jesus and show the love of God greater than ever, stronger than ever we ever have. To lay hands on the sick and see them recover. So I tell you what, some people do need a little stirring up. 
They do need a little, little motivation to get them off their blessed assurance and go do something for, for the kingdom of God. And, and if something happens that tees you off a little bit, great. But make sure you respond the right way. We don't want to be among those who are getting vengeance. I'm going to get them back. No, I'm going to love them back. You know, I was watching some news this week. Anybody watch any news this week? Good, good for you. Anyway, some of you did. And uh, one of the things that's big in the news is Duck Dynasty this week. Anybody know about Duck Dynasty? Yeah. And uh, real popular, uh, I've seen it, you know, a handful of times. Uh, real popular t- TV show and uh, reality show about these, this family, their Christian family. And uh, I can't explain the rest of it other than they have really long beards. And like to hunt ducks and stuff. And uh, any, anyway, kind of funny, interesting, interesting stuff. But one of that one of the guys uh, on that show uh, was doing an interview, and he made some comments about sin, and included in the sin uh, the list of sin that he uh, was talking about. He quoted a scripture from First uh, Corinthians, and included in one, in in his list of uh, things that were wrong in this interview. He made. He made, quote, the mistake of touching the idol of our world, the, the latest God of this world, and that's homosexuality. And he, because he mentioned that and, you know, and, 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 and used, used Scripture against it, uh, those who worship at the idol of homosexuality, uh, they have gone off the deep end and are, you know, going berserk. And it's a, I mean, it is just a crazy world in which we live. And of course, the, uh, you know, you follow the story. The television station that airs their program has suspended him from being on there in the future, and 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 all this stuff because he touched their idol, the god that they worship. And uh, and, and what does that do? Well, again, this is, I'm just thinking, what happens in this world that tees me off? When I watched that, it teased me off, so I stopped looking at it. <laughs> the other night, I thought, I'm not watching any more of these reports on this. This is stupid. I'm, t- I'm ticked off about it. <laughs> how, ignorant, how ignorant our world is and how they attack Christianity so strong. But what should we do as a result of things we, we see that are ungodly and unri- unrighteous in our world? We, how about pray more? How about love, love more? How about share the gospel more? How about do something, do something that will advance the kingdom instead of getting sucked into this, this idea that Samson would get into? Vengeance. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to strike back. I'm going to hurt someone. I'm, I'm going to uh, you know, get on Facebook and have a few arguments with people and, uh, and, you know, and let those things roll for a while. How many know at the end of that you're not feeling better about yourself? And you probably didn't convince anyone. It's just strife. It's just it's just an attitude, an atmosphere that lacks the presence of God. Uh, go over to Romans chapter twelve with me. Let's finish up over here today. Romans the fifth chap, uh, the twelfth chapter. Romans chapter twelve. Notice with me over here in verse nineteen. Well, verse 18 says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Aren't you glad for, glad for that? That means it's not always possible with you, but if it is, as much as it is possible with you, be peaceful. 
live peaceably with all men. Um, Verse 19, beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so what, what we have here is a situation where we can take things in our own hands, or we can turn things over to the Lord. And I tell you what, when someone does you wrong, and I get away from dynasty and all that kind of stuff, just in life, when someone does you wrong, the temptation in our flesh is this, is to take it upon ourselves to make sure that they pay, to make sure that someone, you know, sets them straight. And we've got to watch out that we're not just getting in the flesh and doing this. We're to, if we do that, we're taking it out of the hands of the Lord for Him to deal with people, for Him to make things right. And the, one of the big problems with this is we don't always see all and know all. In fact, we never see all and know all. We don't see the complete picture. We don't see an individual's heart. We don't know what's happening in their mind. And so for us to set it straight and make everything the way it's supposed to be, we're going to often, we're going to make errors in, that, in our judgment regarding that, an individual. We can, by the way, I've said this before in different times recently, we are not to judge individuals, but we are right and correct to judge behavior. We are to judge sin and say, this is sin, this is not. We are to be able, we Christians are to discern these things. But when it comes to taking it into our own hands, and I'm going to be judge and jury and sentencing and everything else because of someone else's uh, mistake, even if it was towards me, that's where we're not really qualified and we're not assigned to do that. He said, turn it over to me. He said, I'll repay it. Don't, don't avenge yourselves. Don't take it upon yourselves to t- do this to people. Romans, uh, Romans 16 Romans 16, you see, we should, be, uh, we should know more about the risen Christ than the defeated devil. And too many times people are so educated and knowledgeable of things that are wrong and things that are falling apart and, and so educated about the enemy, so to speak, and not very knowledgeable about God. You know, half the battle, if not most, 90% of the battle is won when you have a solid relationship with God. When you know Him and can walk with Him, you know His ways, you have fellowship with Him every day. Most of the battle is won already just in that, before you even have to resist the devil and deal with the negative things of this world. But it's, a, it, but it's so, too often Christians are known more for what they're against than what they're for. And I tell you, we ought to be known for what we're for. We ought to be speaking the truth, speaking in love, speaking the gospel, doing these type of things. And people ought to know that is what defines us. Not just what we're against and not just we're so knowledgeable about sin and about the devil and about harm and about evil. Romans sixteen nineteen says, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Be what? Wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Don't be an expert on sin. Don't don't, don't just be a a master and have a Ph.D. in sin, in what's wrong. Be very knowledgeable of the goodness of God. Again, Samson was told again and again what he shouldn't do. Don't do this. Don't do this. He was reminded of this vow and these things he had to avoid. And it seemed he did, well, we're not seen, but he did the very things he was told not to do. And I tell you what, in our day, it would be much better off for our lives, for our kids' lives. Yes, the word no should be in the vocabulary. Uh, We're not concerned about warping their 
their little brains by telling them no. Uh, sometimes the no needs to be in, in, the, in the vocabulary, but I tell you what also needs to be in there is yes. What also needs to be in there is the goodness of God, is the plan of God, are those things that lift us up. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness toward us. Father, we're seeing these things in the, in the Word that are of you. We're seeing these things that are true. We're seeing both the way to live and the way not to live. We, we recognize that we can have a call and an anointing upon our lives, but that doesn't, that doesn't substitute for a life of consecration and commitment. Father, for those who have been harmed here today, those who have been done wrong, others have come against them. Others have spoken against them. Others have stolen from them. May the love of God rise up in them today. Yes, part of that is is righteous anger. It's right and it's correct and it's true. But Father, may they be motivated and prompted to do what Jesus would do. Heal the sick and lift people up and, and share the love of God with all who come near them. We're not going to take things into our own hands. Father, we're going to turn things over to you. We're going to invite your presence. Invite you to have your way in us. For this we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. Now even there's there's been some, there's some, uh, there's some who've, been back, who've been dealing with stuff in their own body problems in their own body and it's related to not turning things over to the Lord it's connected to not turning things over to him and so if you cast your care on him turn this situation over to him rely upon the Lord you'll find those situations will leave in in quick fashion those problems in your body stop holding it on let the the, the vengeance go Let those high emotions settle and let the Lord deal with the situation. Just tell them, Lord, I'm I'm turning this over to you. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. not going to concern myself with what they've done. not going to concern myself at all. Turning this situation over to you. And it's just that easy. And there he is. There's the blessing of God. There's his touch from heaven. It makes all things right. Makes everything better. Thank you, Lord, for doing this work in their hearts, in their lives today. In Jesus' name.